I would encourage people who are in BP to just continue doing what they're doing and do it with excellence and think about the bigger picture of what we're trying to do and, and the agenda that we have and, and the aims that we have as we go towards net zero. And, and even if you don't think the thing you're doing today is specifically contributing toward that, it is part of a larger goal and a larger part of what BP is trying to do to achieve net zero. And, and all of us rowing in the same direction it really helps us get there faster. Hello everyone, I'm Karen Scarborough from the Digital Science and Engineering team, and I'm here with Stefan Garrard as one of BP's principal platform engineers. And we're here to talk today about energy consumption in the digital space. So Stefan, first of all, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you here. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and what you do now for BP? Thanks, Karen. I'm happy to be here. So I've been in uh, BP approaching 13 years now, first two years as a contractor, and then uh, kind of the last 11 years as an employee. More than uh, half my career was spent in high-performance computing, working for the team there, primarily as a systems administrator, working on the large compute clusters, but also as a storage administrator managing petabytes of uh, spinning disks that held seismic data that BP was processing. I spent close to three years in the design, construction, and commissioning of the Center for High-Performance Computing here in Houston, our flagship uh, data center that, that houses high-performance computing up on the third floor. And today I'm responsible for all of our office and refinery locations globally for the, the networks. So I have a team of about 18 folks who do engineering and heavy-duty support for, for those office locations. Excellent. For today, to give a frame of reference, when we think about BP's net zero ambitions, they're beginning to touch every aspect of our work. We are starting to see how things like data centers and large computational efforts are contributing to the world's carbon footprint. So to start with, data centers contribute right now to about 2% of greenhouse gas emissions. But these numbers are expected to increase, and by 2040, this category should contribute to about 14% of emissions. So we are definitely starting to think around how can we optimize our, our digital carbon footprint. And Stefan, I wanted to ask you, how have you seen BP consider our digital carbon footprint? Well, if you look back over the last uh, several years, I think there are probably a couple ways that BP has started to consider and then act upon reducing its digital carbon footprint. One of the ways is through rationalization of applications as a part of the mega data center exits. So BP's been working fast and furious to evacuate all of our data centers. And so as a part of that, I think there's a there's an effort to not just lift and shift, as it's called, all of the applications from on-prem to the cloud, but actually look at those applications and determine which ones are really needed. Also, as a part of that, there's an effort to refactor applications into cloud-native solutions. It's one thing just to put things in the cloud to do the lift and shift model, where you're basically turning off your computer here and renting a computer from somebody else. Uh, it's another thing to actually look at your applications and rebuild them into ways that are cloud-native so you can take advantage of things like serverless and uh, other technologies that uh, allow you to be more efficient in the cloud uh, than you could be with just the traditional Windows or Linux server running your application and a database server running your database, those kinds of things. Uh, so I think BP's taken a, a good step to try to be responsible with the applications that we run and make sure that we're doing the right thing in terms of efficiency of those applications and, and the way that we construct them. If you look at other things, of course, there was the press release uh, some time ago about our partnership with AWS, Amazon Web Services, 
to sell them uh, renewable power for their data centers, which is a great kind of forward thinking and visionary look at how we can offset the power you know, and, and emissions that are coming from the things that we actually have to operate. I mean, if we really wanted to be carbon neutral or no carbon, we would shut everything off, but we can't do that. That's the reality, right? We have to operate our businesses and we need compute and storage and databases and all those things to power our businesses. So doing things like selling renewable energy to our cloud providers is a great way for us to help along that journey, even though we still are you know, consuming the power. It's a great forward thinking approach. Absolutely. It sounds like a, a holistic approach to the problem and in a pragmatic way that's going to allow us to to do better at what our, our core business is and be conscious of how we get there, which is great. Along that way, what kind of measures and metrics have we looked at to get us to that end goal? Um, one that I can talk about more authoritatively would be around power utilization effectiveness or PUE as it's called in the industry. If we take a little bit of a step back and a journey down the design and construction of the CHPC, we actually took PUE heavily into consideration and the reduction of PUE or optimization actually of PUE as a major design consideration. We set a very aggressive target. Keith Gray, who at the time was the director of HPC and I set a very aggressive target with our architecture and engineering firms of delivering a PUE of 1.35 in the Houston area. For those who aren't familiar with PUE, uh, PUE is is a ratio of the amount of power that you're delivering to your computers versus the amount of power it takes to cool those computers with a PUE of 1.35 for every 1,000 kilowatts of power that we were delivering to computers, it was taking 350 watts to, to cool it. So if you were if you were at one, a PUE of one, that would be ideal because you would be using free air and it would cost you no electricity to cool your computers, but they're very few places in the world where you can actually get very close to one. We did things like build separate chill water systems so that we could raise the temperature in the computer room where the computers were uh, higher than other parts of the building because computers don't have to be cold. They just have to not overheat. And so we we built in ways to optimize the temperature to deliver just enough cool air to keep the the servers and storage happy, but not enough to, to overcool them. We did other things like put in heat exchangers so that in the winter months, uh, when it's temperate in Houston, we could actually turn off the mechanical chillers that use a lot of electricity and uh, use free air cooling to cool the building. Finally, the, the other thing that we designed is the ability to put in water-cooled systems. So when we designed the building, we thought about things like putting in chilled water valves under the floor so that we could hook up water-cooled computers in the future. And just in the past number of months, the, the HPC team has started to deploy water-cooled computers that are much more efficient at extracting heat from the chips than, than traditional servers that use fan and air to, to cool them. So we're able to even further optimize the PUE effectively by using water-cooled systems. The net of it is when we set out on the journey of building the CHPC, we designed it with efficiency in mind and with the thought towards the future, talking to industry experts and uh, universities and other folks who are kind of luminaries in data center design and really challenged the status quo for what you could do. We actually have in the first couple of years of operation of the CHPC beat the 1.35 target. We were down below 1.3. Quite an achievement, something we didn't expect and the engineers who designed the building didn't expect us to hit until we were more close to full capacity at uh, you know, many, many, many more megawatts than we were operating today. So that's a testament to the the design and, and the construction of building that we were able to hit that well ahead of schedule. 
Wow, that's excellent. It sounds like it's been a journey from the start of how to optimize and get to where you are now in terms of where you look to in the industry for for what to do next and and guidance on it. How do you follow best practices or, or where you look for increased optimizations? In years past, we would attend a number of industry conferences. Um, Facebook actually has a uh, quite large uh, conference that they put on for their open compute platform. Actually, kind of a funny story. The first time I went out to Facebook's open compute thing out in California, I thought we were we were kind of big stuff. You know, HPC in BP is is significant, and we we're uh, among the largest in the in the super majors in oil and gas space. And actually, um, at one point, had the largest supercomputer dedicated to commercial research. So very large, right, in the industry. And then we show up and start talking with folks who are deploying at Microsoft and Facebook and Google and we find out that we're actually a rounding error to what they deploy in an average month. So yeah, it, it kind of was a level set for us that, you know, we, we were deploying a couple thousand servers at a time and they were deploying like 40 or 50,000 servers at a time and doing that every single month, uh, month after month after month to feed the growth of, of social media and search and all of those kinds of things. So even though we're not consuming the open compute platform, we're paying attention to what they're doing because it's kind of like drafting and cycling, right? You're, you're drafting behind the guys who are doing the bleeding edge stuff and, and learning from them, Let, letting them take version 1.0 and you take version 2.0. That's kind of been through the trials and tribulations, but you're able to take advantage of that a couple seconds after. Outside of that, we have a lot of partnerships. HPC over the years has built a lot of partnerships with universities. HPC in particular is very close to the Texas Advanced Computing Center in Austin. And we rely on our vendors to help us guide our strategy and our vision. We had to do that heavily when we were building the, the CHPC because we were building a facility that we were hoping to last for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And how do you look that far into the future? The computing companies can't even look that far and tell you what's going to be happening. So it was a little bit of faith in what we thought was going to happen and a lot of talking to a lot of people and getting a lot of input. But ultimately it's about having a large network of folks in diverse backgrounds across the industry. And it really leans to a kind of symbiotic relationship that you mentioned in the beginning in our partnership with Amazon about being able to contribute renewable energy there while we lean on some industry expertise on how we can optimize as well. From a, a system standpoint, I wanted to, to get into ne- to a little bit of the separation of details because we know there are energy costs involved in a variety of activities. There's energy costs in the collection of data, the storage of data, and the processing of that data. Since data collection can vary widely, if we narrow down to just the storage versus the compute, how do we look at the energy costs of storing that data versus computing on that data? A couple of things that we kind of think about and, uh, and a couple of things to take in consideration. By far, the, the computation is the, the energy heavy part of the equation. If you look at a capability standpoint of the CHPC, just from a pure megawatt standpoint, we have something like a half a megawatt allocated towards our network and storage area. And today provisioned six and a half megawatts of compute. It's a big difference, right? Keeping data on disk is not free. It, it does cost money to, to keep disk spinning and to keep things on disk. There are newer technologies coming along that uh, help with that. Certainly uh, solid state drives in a lot of cases are more energy efficient because you're not having to keep a platter rotating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Some ways that you can mitigate that, if you think about it, is around rationalizing what you keep on disk and what you push off to things like tape. 
people may be surprised uh, to hear the word tape because that's a technology that's been around forever, but it actually is one of the most efficient storage mechanisms out there in terms of density. Uh, and so in the past and even today, the HPC makes it available to push data that's no longer needed off to tape so that it can be recalled later in the future if needed. The other thing I would mention is hard drives continue to get bigger, but they don't necessarily consume a lot more power. So we're able to gain efficiency there in terms of you know terabytes per watt of, of power consumed for storage, just by the fact that over time you refresh file systems and you get more storage effectively for free in terms of the power it takes to run them. So today you buy a an array that uses four terabyte drives. Tomorrow you buy an array that uses eight terabyte drives and you've doubled your storage without doubling the amount of disks that it takes to operate it. So uh, some of it's just staying uh, current with, with the industry and refreshing technology and not letting things grow stale and put driving out old technology and driving in new technology to both to help advance the science and also help uh, with, with efficiency in, in uh, compute and storage. Mm-hmm. If we look a little bit more at compute in terms of the hardware aspect of that. I know in the industries, we've seen more and more specific ASIC chips come out that are specific chips to the type of computations they perform and can have a lot more efficiencies built in in that way. If you're doing very specific algorithms or computations that would be better to do on this specific chip versus a generalized computer, And those are being released continuously and improved upon. So I was wondering, how does BP Balance making improvements in our hardware versus ensuring we keep up with the industry versus considering the actual physical waste that we may incur if we need to upgrade our computers, but then need to also retire part of them as well? Sure. Almost everything it's, is done through a leasing model. So BP effectively rents the computers for a period of time and then returns them when we're done. That helps in several areas. One, it drives down the cost. So typically you'll find that the cost of uh, leasing a computer for three years is less than the cost of buying it over that same three-year period if you amortize it out. So we actually end up in a better financial position because we lease computers because the leasing company will you know find something to do with it after after we're done. And that, that's really where you get into the elimination of physical waste. So when we return computers back to leasing company, they typically get resold to smaller companies or to universities uh, that can't afford to buy the latest and greatest, but still need uh, compute for either research purposes or for their own you know, business needs. So really we're, we're preventing systems from going straight to landfill or straight to you know, recycling and, and driving down e-waste in the, the big benefit to BP really is that it allows us to stay uh, up to date and current with the latest technologies. That's a really strong way to stay current and one that, like you pointed to, helps out the, the rest of the community. The other thing I would add in that, uh, if, if so we look at that in the HPC, we've done a lot as we go around the world to refresh our network, to partner with e-waste recycling companies, to recycle the old network gear that is completely into serviceable life that no one else would ever want because it's so old. So... There's one finite resource I also wanted to touch on here in this conversation, and that being time. So no matter how much efficiencies we gain in computations and storage, we we won't have any more time to perform computations in a year than only 24 hours a day. So in many ways, you can think about optimizing this time based on 
what we have available to us. So in the future, do you have thoughts around where you see BP getting more out of this finite time research to reach our net zero goals and specific use cases of how we use this computational power to achieve that? Certainly no one has invented the the 48 hour day yet. We really only have so much time that we can use the computers and, and only so much work that we can process through them. So getting the most out of that really comes down to a couple of things. One, it's it's the availability of those systems and the reliability of those systems is critical, right? If you look at running a job that spans across a third of those computers that are in use in say the CHPC, they all have to be available for the job to complete in a lot of cases. So continuing to innovate with our hardware vendors to make more reliable and innovative systems that have more uptime and, and less are less prone to error is one way that we can continue to eke out every last second of, of performance and time out of our clusters. Another way is the HPC team is very responsive to business needs. It's having uh, that direct uh, linkage with the business and with the business priorities to make sure that the work that we're doing is the highest priority work in the company. Traditionally, that's been seismic workloads. The optimization has been around which project is the most important today that needs to be delivered. Uh, if it's a, a new field that is being explored or ship that's drilling that has to stop because they hit something they didn't think about and all of a sudden you need to do some additional seismic processing. Uh, so that you know, jumps to the front of the queue. Traditionally, we've been in a seismic shop, but we have brilliant PhD mathematicians and geophysicists and computational scientists that are available to help solve problems and help do things well on computers. Um, that's probably been one of uh, the key core competencies of the HPC team is uh, the computational scientists who are able to help optimize codes that have to be run in the clusters to be the best performing and most optimal. That's really what makes it work because anybody can run a job on a computer, but to do it well and to do it efficiently takes uh, a special set of skills and that having the right people. Beyond that, the last thing is looking at how you can use cloud as a burstable resource. So the HPC team you know, operates uh, at high efficiencies, the, the clusters that, that exist in the CHPC here in Houston, but sometimes there's more work than there is compute. And so there's quite likely a, a possibility that you could burst to cloud and, and take advantage of kind of the hyperscale resources that Microsoft and Amazon offer to basically create more than a 24-hour day, so to speak, of, of time and, and resources. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It's very strategic and very collaborative. It sounds like what um, will happen in the future with how we look at where we allocate our resources and who we work with and leveraging the internal expertise that we have. Thank you for, for taking the, the time today to come and discuss this with us. I think most people will be surprised to learn the, the thoughtfulness behind which we, we do all these activities. And it's very encouraging to be a part of a team that looks um, at things in this way and just performs at it with such excellence. It's been an amazing career over the last 13 years and coming from almost right out of college to to where I'm at today. And to see the, the step change in performance across computing and you know, the building of the CHPC and BP's entry into big data analytics and data science. And, and of course, now with the role that I have in networking, continuing to enable now the business, you know, kind of at the edge at all of our locations to do the work that we need to do. So yeah, I would encourage people who are in BP to just continue doing what they're doing and do it with excellence and think about the bigger picture of what we're trying to do and, and the agenda that we have and, and the aims that we have as we go towards net zero and, and 
even if you don't think the thing you're doing today is specifically contributing toward that, it is part of a larger goal and a larger part of what BP is trying to do to achieve net zero. And and all of us rowing in the same direction it really helps us get there and it will help us get there faster. Thanks for listening today. Take a look at our digital and technology career opportunities at bp.com forward slash careers.